So today we finish our series, uh, Christmas, what's, what's the point? And the point is um, made well in this video. The point of Christmas is Jesus. And today we'll be looking at Jesus, the greater king. want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, much of this sermon, uh, much, much of the content in it was influenced by Scott McKnight in a book called The King, Jesus, Gospel. Great read, uh, short read. So for any of you who like short books, this is a good one. All right. 1 Samuel 8, 1 Samuel 8, 4 and 5 will be our context today. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. What's the point? What's the point of Christmas? What's the point of this life? What's the point of this book? That's what we've been exploring in this series. And the big idea that has been driving this series is simple. It's this, that the whole Bible points to Jesus. That life is about Jesus, that Christmas is about Jesus, that this book that is sometimes very simple but also sometimes very complicated is all about one person and his name is Jesus. Uh, I, I introduced this Bible to you throughout this series. It's the Jesus Bible edited by uh, Louis Giglio and others. Some of you got it as Christmas presents or birthday presents already. I saw somebody showed me a brand new one this morning, so that's awesome. Uh, a fantastic book, a fantastic resource. And throughout this Bible, uh, there are little inserts that teach you about how certain passages point to Jesus. Uh, certain passages that you would say, oh boy, that doesn't point to Jesus at all. And they so no, 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 the Bible's all about Jesus. And so great book to look at, great book to use. Um, if you want to come check out this Bible, I'll leave it up here once again. So you can come and check it out after the service. And if you got a last second birth or Christmas present, Amazon probably can still get it here. All right. So we'll send a drone or something. All right. So we said the whole Bible points to Jesus and specifically that the Bible points to Jesus in three different ways, three different roles, three different offices. And especially in the Old Testament, these offices are shown to us and then Jesus comes and he really becomes a fulfillment of these three roles. They are prophet, priest, and today we're going to deal with king. So prophet, two weeks ago, we said that uh, the prophet spoke on behalf of God to the people. So when the prophets in the Old Testament, when they come, they speak on behalf of God and they announce to the people what God wants them to announce, what he wants them to proclaim. And their primary responsibility was to let the people know that they were to repent and return to God. And so all those weird names in the Bible, right? Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, you're like, who are these guys? They're prophets. And they were the mouthpieces of God. Elijah, Moses, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. These guys, they all came and they had one central message, repent and return to God. And when Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, his message was the same. 
His message was repent and return. In fact, just turn because I'm standing right here. Right? And so when Jesus comes, he fulfills this role as God's mouthpiece. He is speaking for God on behalf of God to the people. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We then said he also fulfills the role of priest. So that not only does he speak uh, to the people from God, but he also speaks on behalf of the people to God, is what we said last week, right? And so he, he mediates, the priest mediates between the people and God. And so the people didn't want to approach God in the Old Testament, so they had somebody approach God for them. And they called these folks Priests. And so the priests would go and they would, they would serve sacrifices. They would offer blessings. They would offer prayers uh, for the people. And they would speak to God on behalf of the people. And when Jesus shows up, it's not surprising that he says things like this. Let the little children come unto me. Let me bless them. Shouldn't be surprising to us that he blesses, that, that he prays for his people, and that he teaches them how to pray. Shouldn't surprise us that when the disciples said, hey, Jesus, how should we pray? He goes, well, this is how you should pray. And then he gives us the simple prayer that we talked about in the last series. So he prays, he, offer, he blesses, and finally, right, he becomes the ultimate sacrifice. He not only offers the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice, which is why we don't need sacrifices anymore, right? It's why nobody's slaughtering a bull, thank goodness, this morning in here, right? Right? So there's no more need for sacrifice because the ultimate sacrifice is made, and we said that Jesus is the greater Priest, Because of Jesus, we don't need a mediator anymore. Right? We can go directly to God. When the, when the temple curtain is torn in two, that means that the Holy of Holies is approachable now. That we can enter into the most holy place, into where God actually is. And we ourselves can come to God and offer prayers and offer um, blessings and offer ourselves, as Romans would say, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And so today we're going to talk about the last one, King. The last one, King. Which is a little hard for us, right? Because we're, we're pretty removed from, um, from having a king, right? Um, like we watch the royal wedding, but like that's not, that's not, you know, that's, that's not exactly what we're talking about about, right? When we talk about king, maybe in your head you kind of get this picture of of Arthur and the knights of the round table, right? Or something to that nature. Uh, you, you kind of think uh, of uh, the dark ages or the medieval times and knights and kings. Uh, but I, I don't actually think it's that far removed. I think there's something still in our psyche that remains about having Kings, let's try this on. So there was a man in the 1950s and 1960s, and he really knew how to play his guitar and move his hips, right? Okay? Right? Um, he knew how to sing, and it didn't hurt that he had great hair, right? And anybody know his name? His name was Elvis Presley. Come on, Elvis Presley, the king. And that's what we called him, right? He was the king of rock and roll, Right? The king of rock and roll. Why was he the king of rock and roll? Well, he was the best. He was the greatest. 
He was above everybody else. If we had to bend a knee to one musician in that time, in that period, we would bend the knee to Elvis Presley because he was the king. Thank you very much, right? (laughs) More recently, there's a young man just in this past generation became a high school phenom in basketball, I would love, love, love to have him on my team right now, right? I got, I got, I got Kagan Babbitt, though, so you know, hey, come on. Um, and, and, and they began to follow him years ago, just in, in high school, which, which in his generation, his previous generation, was kind of a new thing. And he was, he was just bigger than everyone else. He was faster than everyone else. He was dominant. He has gone on to win several MVPs and NBA championships. And his name is LeBron James. Do you know what his Twitter handle is? Anybody? At King James. Right? Why is he the king? Because he's the best. He's dominant. Right? If Michael Jordan was playing, he'd be the king. I'm just, I'm, I'm in that argument. I say Michael. So, um... But he's the king. He's the best. He's dominant. He's above everyone else. He's, he wins more championships. He's more dominant. He is the king. So it's not that far from us if we just think about this. Who do we bend a knee to? Who is above us? Who is in charge? Because that's the king. That's the king. And it was the same in the Old Testament. And the role of the Old Testament king was to do one simple thing. The role of the Old Testament king was to rule over the people. It was to rule over the people. This is where this passage comes from. So passage in 1 Samuel, the context is this. The people of God, the Israelites, uh, they are, they've wandered around in, uh, the, Moses has taken them out of slavery. They've wandered around in the wilderness and they're settling into the promised land, right? And the people come to Samuel and they say, hey, we need a king. We want a king. Samuel, you're not as young as you used to be, and your sons are not capable of leading the charge here. We need a king. And we need somebody simply to rule over us. The job of the king is simple. It's to rule. It means they're in charge. What they say goes. What they order happens. He is above the kingdom Positionally, He doesn't have to answer to anybody. Everyone else answers to him. And so in this passage, the context is simply this. They're saying, hey, listen, we want a leader. We want somebody in charge. We want a ruler over us. Somebody that can lead us in battle, lead us financially, lead us in this season of life as a kingdom. And so every other kingdom has a king. So why, Samuel, why can't we have a King, someone to rule over us. And, and specifically, they're asking for a couple things. They're asking for three specific roles for this king to fulfill. Number one, three specific roles of the king. Number one, they're asking for him, they're asking him to give them someone who will establish a kingdom. Who will establish the kingdom. So th- they're saying, hey, listen, we can't have a kingdom without a king. Right? That's what they're saying. We want to be a kingdom. Everybody else has a king, and they get to be a kingdom. We want to be a kingdom too. We need a king. And so the king's job for them, what they were asking for, is they would they would have someone who would establish that kingdom, right? They would have a leader, they would be followers. By the way, totally different sermon. If if you're if you're if you think you're a leader and nobody's following, by definition, you're not a leader. Just putting it out there. That's a whole nother sermon. Anyway. (laughs) 
but likewise, if you're a king without a kingdom, you're not really a king, right? I mean, this is where King James, at King James Twitter hashtag kind of falls apart. You're like, dude, where's the kingdom, bro? Okay, right? Cleveland, really? Okay. Um, no offense. Who's from Cleveland? Anybody from Cleveland? You got some Cleveland people over here. All right. Um, so they're asking for him to establish a kingdom. Uh, this is usually done by birthright or by force. But they don't have somebody who can take over in that moment. And so they're saying, hey, give us somebody who can establish this kingdom. Somebody who can establish laws for us. Right? So who can say, hey, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do in this kingdom. Right? Somebody who can say, hey, um, here's what is land is part of our kingdom. And here's what land is not part of our kingdom. Like this, this is the role of the king is to establish the kingdom. They, they would talk about who's going to serve me as advisors. They would talk about who's going to be the inner circle. They would talk about the roles of everyone in the kingdom. They would talk about how people should behave in the kingdom. And they would establish what the kingdom actually was. And so when the people are asking for a king, they're saying, hey, we want somebody to give us guidelines and to establish what this kingdom is all about, what we're all about, what we're going to be, where we're going to go, what we're going to do. Please give us someone who will establish the kingdom. Number two, they were asking for someone who would protect the kingdom. So they're asking for someone to protect the kingdom. Because once a kingdom is established, the big job starts, which is to protect that kingdom. And so, um, if there's other kings, what they're going to naturally do is they want a piece of your action, and they want some of your kingdom too. And so what you need to do as a good king is you need to protect your kingdom. You need to protect your people. And so what they're asking is for someone to protect them. To protect them. Uh, to build huge walls around them. To grow a great army so that they can be protected. So that nobody else can come in and take their land. And take their money. And take all their wealth. Like somebody that's going to protect the land. Right? And that's what they want. They look around and they say, listen, there's all these other kings who have big militaries. Who have big cities with big walls. And, and we need to have somebody who's going to establish uh, big walls and big military. And who's going, to, who's going to protect us. Right? Somebody who's going to protect us. And number three, this is what they're asking for. They're asking that he would be someone who would provide for the people. Provide for the kingdom. So they're asking Samuel, they're saying, hey, um, give us somebody that will provide for us. Not just establish things, not just protect us, but give us somebody who will provide for us. Right? We need to be healthy. We need to be nourished. We need food. We need water. And they're saying, Samuel, who's going to give these things to us? Who's going to help us maintain a healthy culture and kingdom? They're saying we need somebody to provide for us. Somebody who's going to act almost like a parent, right? For his children. Who's going to make sure that there's enough food in the kingdom. And there's enough water in the kingdom. And that everybody's healthy and everybody's strong. And that we're, we're doing okay in the kingdom. Simple things that everybody wants. They want to, their kingdom to be established. They want to be protected. And then they want to be provided for And so, uh, Samuel says, okay, um, 
I will give you a king. Uh, I'll read a little further, though. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came into Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations had. And here's actually what Samuel's response was. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as king. They haven't rejected Samuel as king. They've rejected God as king. And yet God relents and, and he provides a king for them, Saul. But shortly after Saul, there is a famous a king named David. The most famous Old Testament king named David. You saw him in the video, video. Even if you haven't been to church that much, you probably heard about this little boy who like took a slingshot and like killed a giant. You heard that story before? Even if you haven't been to church, right? right? Mal- Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, he wrote a book about this, David and Goliath, which is a fascinating read, by the way. Um, but David was a little shepherd boy. He slayed uh, the great Goliath, uh, the great giant Goliath. Um, and he came into power uh, after Saul. He was a good king most of the time. He had some problems, right? Uh, he had some issues uh, with his eyes, a little wandering eye syndrome. I don't know, know any other guys who have that, but, you know, apparently David did. And so um, he, he had this little gal named Bathsheba that he got eyes for. He happened to uh, get her husband murdered. And, um, and, and so that wasn't his greatest day, right? Um, but uh, when all is said and done, David was known as a man after God's own heart. In the book of Acts, actually, God attests to this himself, that David was a man of God's own heart. In, in the same way that um, he, he couldn't control some of his passions, in another way, his passions, when they got rightly aligned, were amazing. Like David was the king that um, he danced in his undies, okay? Like he just, he got crazy in worship. Like not like, like none of us did this morning, right? Like, well, man, there was a couple, I saw a couple, you know, you know, some, but like, like David, if David was in here, he'd be making, he's the uncomfortable worshiper, okay? Like he's the, he's the guy that you're like, oh, why did we sit next to him today, right? Like he's that guy, right? David worshiped God with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul, all of his strength. David uh, wrote a big chunk of the book of Psalms. He was a great musician. Uh, He wrote a a ton of songs, a ton of music to the Lord. Stuff where he poured his heart out to God. and, and, And he was a pretty good king. Uh, he had a large army, he had mighty warriors that fought with him. Uh, some of the coolest stories in the Old Testament uh, are about David's fighting mighty men, right? And, and, and David ruled and reigned for, for quite some time. And although he was a good king, uh, he wasn't the great king. And there were kings after him, some were good, some were bad. Some listened to God, some didn't. There was one named Josiah. He was just a young lad when he came into power. And he found the, uh, the law of God hidden away in some dusty bin. And he pulled it out and he said, hey, we should listen to God. He was a good king, right? He was a good king. There was these good kings and there was these bad kings. And they kind of wandered along, sometimes good, sometimes bad, in the kingdom. But what's the point? What's the point? Well, the point is this this morning. When Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up 2,000 years ago, Jesus becomes the greater 
king. Once again, go back to this passage. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they have rejected. They have rejected me as their king. See, God wanted to be their king. God himself wanted to be their king. And when Jesus shows up 2,000 years ago, it's because he wants to be the king. It's not because he wants to be the king. It's because he is the king. He is the king. And this has great implications for our life. Go back to the three things that we wrote down, right? Jesus comes to establish his kingdom. If you want to read uh, the Sermon on the Mount this afternoon, nice little read. You can get there and just read it through. It won't take you very long. You will realize that Jesus is establishing a kingdom. Right? He's saying this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what life inside the kingdom looks like. Right? We're going to be those who turn the other cheek. We're going to be those who pray for our enemies. We're going to be those who know how to approach the throne by saying our Father who art in heaven. We're going to be those who um, we know that the kingdom belongs to the poor. We know that the kingdom of God belongs to the meek. We're going to be those who live within this kingdom and we're going to be wise people who build our life on a foundation that is strong, not on a foundation that when the storm comes, knocks it all down. And and really, when he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's saying this is what the kingdom looks like. He's establishing the kingdom. And he protects the kingdom, right? I mean, when he gets on that cross... He is protecting his people. He is the good shepherd who is protecting his flock. He is giving himself for our sins to protect us from the evil one. And he provides for us. He says to his disciples, it's better that I go away. Because I need to prepare a place for you with my Father, which is where He is seated currently. At the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for you. See, Jesus fulfills all of this. If you think this Old Testament is just crummy, no, it all points to Jesus, the King of King and the Lord of Lords. And this has some practical implications for us today. Right? Number one. Practical implications. Philippians 2 says this, that there is a day coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on heaven and on earth. And they just even covered it under the earth, just in case there's like some critters we don't know about. Okay, right? That Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the king. Amen. Right? <laughs> And I don't know about you, but man, I cannot wait for that day. This has some global political implications, right? There's a day coming where there will be no more rulers. There will be no more dictators. There will be no more royal families. No offense to the royal family, all right? There will be no more presidents. There will be one king and one kingdom and man i hope it comes today right i mean i mean we should be people that wake up every morning and just say jesus 
Today would be a great day for you to come. And then, and then hit the snooze button and see if he comes and wake up a little sad. Right? Okay? Um, <laughs> I mean, this has massive implications for us. Guys, there's a day when all of this is going to pass. All the news will have nothing to talk about because there will be one king. And one kingdom, Jesus, come, please, now, right? There will be a day. There will be that day. And there is personal implications as well, right? So there's these global political implications, but there's personal implications. He's in charge right now. He's in charge right now. He is seated on a throne right now. And that deserves some response from us. It deserves some moment of pause from us to ask this question. Is he king for me? Is he king for me? What do you do when you get in front of a king? You bend a knee. You lower your head. You say, king, what what do you want for my life? What do you want for my family? What do you want for my work? What do you want for my finances? What do you want for my health? What do you want for every facet of my life? Is Jesus your king? See, if I could give you one thing for Christmas. If I could give you one thing for Christmas, this is what it would be. It would be that Jesus would be your prophet. That he would speak truth to you each and every day. And that your ears would be wide open to what he is saying. My wish for your gift for you for this Christmas would be that Jesus would be your priest. And because of that, you would come with confidence to the throne room of grace. That you would not be scared of God, but that you would approach him boldly, intimately saying, Father, Father who art in heaven. And, and, And my wish for a gift for you would be that you would embrace Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in your life. If I could give you one present for Christmas this year, it would be that. For behold, to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And they will call him. They will call him. Wonderful counselor. Almighty God. Everlasting father. And the prince of peace. Heavenly Father, make that true in our lives. Counsel us. Guide us. Lead us. Be our prophet, priest, and king. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.